welcome, Devin Modichka. Hi. Came across your work through your article through, I think it was a principal magazine. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of a summary of your um, dissertation on trust. And I'm interested in learning a little bit more about that as it relates to, to the book that I have coming out. And, but you also have a book out, uh, Learner-Centered Leadership, a Blueprint for Transformational Change in Learning Communities uh, through IM Press. So welcome, Devin. And it just if you just want to say a little bit about yourself, your work, what you do for schools. Yeah, well, it's great to, uh, great to connect. So yeah, I'm Devin Benichka. I'm the CEO of Learner-Centered Collaborative. We partner with schools and districts to help them make the shift to learner-centered education. And for us, that's all about beginning with whole learner outcomes and designing meaningful learning experiences and creating the enabling conditions uh, to bring all of that to life. So we're working with 130 something school districts across the country, uh, seeing lots of great innovations uh, during this interesting time. And uh, before, my current role, I used to be superintendent of uh, Vista Unified School District, which is where I live, San Diego County uh, School District of about 25,000 students. And then prior to that, I had a whole bunch of admin roles and was a teacher in LA Unified uh, at the beginning of my educational career. Yeah, what a time to be in this business, uh, supporting that shift. I mean, uh, not surprised you're that busy. Why did you pick trust as a topic for your studies and dissertation and, um, and, and, and the frame that you came up with, the four C's. Yep. So at the time that I was working on my dissertation, I was a principal. I was fortunate to open a new elementary school and a new middle school. And I was really interested in organizational development and how you, how you measure the, uh, the progress of an organization. And uh, I, I looked at a lot of different models, a lot of different frameworks, and ended up becoming really interested in the field of social capital. And social capital uh, essentially says that, you know, there's a benefit from connections that we have uh, because they enable the exchange of resources and expertise. And there's a lot of research in many fields that shows that when you have higher levels of social capital, those resources flow more freely and you end up with higher levels of effectiveness. So I had this hypothesis that social capital could be a way to think about organizational development. And I got pulled into a research study uh, that was through SRI International, it was funded by the National Science Foundation. And they were looking at the feasibility of using this social capital lens uh, to look at school reform and technology integration. And sure enough, it turned out where you have a lot of uh, connectedness, you have the space for a diffusion of innovation and, and reforms and change efforts stick. And so that led me to then wonder, well, how do you create social capital if that's a way to think about the, the readiness of an organization? What does it take to build it? And when you really start asking the question about, you know, how do we build connections? It quickly leads you to trust and relational trust more specifically. And so I became then very interested in, well, then as a school leader, how, how can I create higher trust uh, in this environment? How can we create relational trust? And there's a lot of research uh, in this area. 
And that all led me to develop this synthesis, which says it really takes four elements that have to be in place, consistency, compassion, competence, and communication. And it's the interplay between those four elements that creates relational trust. And if you have relational trust, you're then generating social capital. And if you're generating social capital, you're creating the conditions for more meaningful change. So mm-hmm. that's a quick fly through of my intellectual journey. Yeah. And I remember that article too. It, I remember you, I think, writing like you can't have just compassion or just consistency. You have to have all four. It's kind of a layered approach to, right. to building that foundation. Yeah. yeah, totally right. Well, and I give the example of, uh, you know, sometimes when we talk about trust, we, we generalize it, but it is highly situational. So my wife and I have been together since high school. We have a very high level of relational trust, but she knows what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. So competence being one of those four elements, for example, if, if our car was broken and needed repair, she would not trust me to fix it because she knows I'm not competent in that particular area. But if she needed, you know, a bill to be paid or she needed one, there are lots of things that I can do. So it's important to remember that it's very situational, it's dynamic, uh, and it's two parties that go into it. So I can, I can do everything that I can to try to build trust, but ultimately it's the, the interaction between two or more people that, that really generates that social connection. Communication is going to be a huge part of that as well. Communication is is huge. It cuts across the three other dimensions. So your your consistency, your compassion, and your competence are all influenced by how you communicate. And the research uh, in this area really reinforces the importance of uh, receptive communication. So are we able to be a good listener? Uh, that tends to be a higher predictor of trust than your ability to express yourself. And so, you know, as it relates to leadership, school leadership in particular, I think we're, we're always sort of confronted with the myth of the charismatic, you know, uh, eloquent uh, leader who, who, who carries a message uh, and sort of inspires people through that. But when you really look at the research, you find out people are often more inspired by someone who cares about them as a person listens to them, understands their perspective, is able to balance consistency with compassion to get things done. Uh, and so, yeah, communication is huge. Yeah. And, and I saw that throughout your book too, in the learner centered leadership in your blueprint. Um, uh, you know, speaking of communication, you, you talk about us, you, you introduced the book, um, telling a short story about Diego and, um, just how you were able to find out about um, his situation. Um, yeah. <clears throat> can you just describe that just briefly and, and how it led yeah. to this concept. <clears throat> yeah, so the story in the book is about uh, Diego, which is not his real name, but uh, he didn't want uh, to be identified. So uh, we'll call him Diego. And uh, he was a student at the school where I was an elementary principal. And so we knew each other when he was really quite young. And then I ended up going to the district office, moved to a neighboring district to be superintendent. And he ended up at uh, high school in the district where I was superintendent. And I, I made it a priority to be in schools a lot uh, as the superintendent. So I would wander 
through the schools. And every time I saw him, it was a sense of, you know, reconnection and, and, uh, you know, it was just great to see how he had grown over time. And, uh, we, we had a, uh, I'd say a friendly, but, but not super close, uh, connection. And then I got a call from his mom one day, uh, who shared with me that, uh, his dad had passed away. She was very ill. He was a senior at that time, and he was uh, working uh, to sort of support his family and falling behind in school. And so I went and checked in with him and, you know, turned out that, yeah, he was he was carrying a, a lot. Uh, and <clears throat> as soon as we knew about it, there was a whole team of people, the principal, the counselor, the teachers, all sort of sprang into action and set up, you know, all kinds of supports and interventions. And he ended up graduating, going to college. He's doing quite well now. Uh, but it was, it was shocking to me that he had been in school and none of us knew about his situation. Uh, and it's it, his story to me is just such an important reminder of how relationships have to be first in everything we do uh, because with that relationship, we can understand the whole person and how we can be most helpful for them. Uh, so that's the story. That's the takeaway. That's that's part of why I think we need just more humanity in our educational approach. Yeah, and, and relevance seemed to come up for me too as I was reading your book. And um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, your own story is. And not the same as Diego's, but uh, you were also our first generation uh, yes. citizen. And, and you talked yep. a little bit about that, too, with how you viewed school coming through in the United States. And, and, and how did that form your philosophy um, yeah. where you are today? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so in the book, uh, Learner-Centered Leadership, I also share the story of being from an immigrant family growing up in a small town and <clears throat> just how strange it was. And I I noticed it at a young age, I was probably seven, maybe eight years old, that I had these very distinct cultural differences that were completely uh, unrecognized in the learning experience. Uh, And and not just, you know, culture being unrecognized as a form of individual difference, but I had friends that pick things up quickly or slowly or had different interests. And, and, and it just struck me as a very strange, uh, as a very young person that we would be getting this sort of one size fits all treatment when it was really clear to me that we were unique as individuals. Uh, and as a learner, what it made me feel like is that I was unseen or invisible. And so when I connect that back to Diego, I think about, you know, why didn't he tell somebody about his situation? But when you feel like you're not seen in the educational experience, you don't feel compelled to reach out. You, 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 you withdraw uh, is the natural tendency. And that happens to so many kids in our school system. It's one of the reasons we've had almost 20% of our students not graduate from high school for 50 years. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that they're not capable, it's students disengage and they, and they withdraw. And it's often because, you know, we're not seen as, as people. We don't have those connections that uh, will help us to really flourish. And your blueprint talks about some of the elements that will help us 
meet every kid's needs uh, for learner-centered leadership. Um, could you walk us just through each, each element? I think there was four. What should leaders be looking for to help kind of guide their teachers in their community toward, toward a more yep. responsive experience? Yeah, well, part of it is the context and that context is, uh, is really important that it is characterized by high levels of trust, social capital, as we talked about. And I encourage leaders to be deep listeners. Uh, no matter what your role is, we can all learn from one another in that listening mode. So if you have a high trust environment that's characterized by really trying to understand one another, leaders need to have um, a strategy uh, to move forward. And so I, I define leadership as an intersection of purpose, participation, and feedback. And the way that you get to that is by aligning what I call a framework for the future. So what's your vision? Where are you going? What's your mission? How are you going to um, contribute to achieving that vision? What are your values, which is how you'll behave? What are your goals so that you know if you're making progress towards your aspirations? Then roles and responsibilities, who's going to do what? And then lastly, you need a plan uh, of action. And in communities where you have alignment of vision, mission, values, goals, roles, plan, and you have high trust, incredible things can happen for, for all learners. With this framework, you encourage leaders to constantly re-examine it and adjust it to your local, like you said, situational mm -hmm. of, um, context. And um, I just wrote, you know, it's personalized learning for ourselves too. You know, it's yeah. not just for the kids, but we have to be learners along with them. You know, sometimes districts or schools will be told, no, you need to follow this curriculum or you need to follow this framework somewhat, um, I would say rigidly, um, but you don't advocate for that. You actually advocate for personalizing it to your context. And what are the benefits to that? Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's a really hard change because we're, we're sort of conditioned by these industrial era systems that do promote compliance, uh, where I think what we need today in the world is much more agency. Uh, which is part of personalization. And that agency is really purposeful action that each of us can take individually. And if we wanna see that for our students, it needs to also be in place for our teachers, for our school leaders. It needs to be, we need to have integrity in the, the, the system. And you know, having gone through the experience of, of uh, moving towards more personal learning for all students, you have to align those outcomes, the experiences and the conditions and the conditions need to reflect the outcomes you wanna see. So if you talk about empowering learners to drive their own future, you have to, you have to promote that for everyone in the system. And you have to give them space to, to Correct. decisions. Correct. Correct, well, and so the flip of this is, you know, some people I think worry that if you take this empowering approach where you're promoting agency and choice and flexibility, that you're going to have chaos and that it will be unstructured. And so this is where having strategy, vision, mission, values, goals, the elements I talked about are important to put guardrails around the, the process and establish some expectations about how we're going to coexist together. 
and where you have that balance of structure and flexibility, you, you get tremendous growth. Uh, but that requires ongoing feedback, which is why part of listening continues to be important mm -hmm. because just when you think you've found that balance, is, we're dynamic people, we, we exist in dynamic context. And so we need to be uh, listening and in this kind of inquiry mode to make adjustments, sometimes adding more structure, sometimes removing structure, but keeping those boundaries in place to have purposeful action in the direction of what we're trying to achieve. It takes time, right? It, <laughs> I, I'm in my sixth year now and it's, I'm still, we're still exactly what you said, just trying to re-examine why we're here, what we're doing and having to address. Right. Um, and I almost got a sense just reading your book too, that um, it's not just maybe changing what you currently have, but almost um, not to throw out what we've done, but um, it, like you said, it's a pretty substantial shift to go here. Yes. Um, any, anything, any specific strategies? You mentioned deep listening, which I 100% agree with. Any other strategies a leader might take to start accelerating that shift so that we can get there sooner just for our kids right now? Yeah. I mean, the way we start with most of our partnerships is talking about what are we really trying to achieve? What do we really want for our learners? And if you engage in that conversation, you say, what, what does success really look like for one of our students? Invariably, they talk about, we want them to be knowledgeable. They need to be literate. They need to have foundational skills in math and science and social studies. Those things are, are necessary, but they're not sufficient because we also want our, uh, our students to have a sense of purpose. We want them to know how to interact well with others, to be empathetic, to be, you know, effective communicators. We want them to be creative. We want them to be problem solvers. We want them to contribute in their communities. And so once you start getting into that conversation, you say, well, how would we know that that's actually happening? It leads you into a, a very important and urgent conversation around what are the metrics of success that are going to tell us if we're making progress. And as soon as you start anchoring on the whole learner, as what you're trying to achieve, you recognize that all of these other things must shift if you're really serious about achieving those ambitions. Uh, and so it starts and ends with the learner uh, always, but outcomes is a great way to get started quickly uh, to do the urgent work that needs to occur. And it can't be just test scores, right? It, there has to be other ways to, to measure this. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And test scores are not bad, but right. you know, if, if you think of a different uh, uh, different setting, like healthcare, you know, imagine if the entire industry focused only on your weight, and that was the single measure that was the exclusive focus of, of all of your health efforts. We would end up being less healthy than if we also incorporated other, uh, you know, inputs like, you know, what's your blood pressure and how, how well are you sleeping and how, what's your emotional state? And, and these are all things that are important. And so it's, it's critical to have multiple measures uh, to guide progress. And I will say along those lines, when we started shifting schools to more personal learning, 
we often saw initially that academic achievement would go down, uh, but we were tracking multiple metrics and measures like attendance and discipline, attitudes about school, those were going off the charts in a positive direction. And it gave us the confidence to say, well, if we're seeing higher levels of engagement, ultimately that should translate into more academic achievement. And sure enough, it did. When, 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 the, when the academic met metrics bounced back, they went to higher levels than we had ever seen before. But we wouldn't have persevered through that if we weren't oriented to more than one input. So yeah, very important to have multiple metrics. So the multiple measures not only give you um, feedback on how you were doing, but it also helped you sustain that journey so that you, you stuck with it and correct wrote well, up the implementation to yeah completely and and uh you know just like in the health field if you optimize around one metric you might sub-optimize around other things that are also important we do the same thing in education there's a lot of great research that says that countries that do really well with uh, improving test scores have students who are disinterested in the subject and, or, or, you know, not motivated. Uh, and, and so, yeah, we, we need to be thinking about the holistic effects and impacts of what we're doing. And just like I was talking about trust and how there's these competing dynamics, it, it's, this, it's similar in this respect. We need to be thinking holistically and globally if we really want to better serve one another as, as humans. Well, this is complex work, but in your book, Leonard Center Leadership, uh, you, you nicely frame it so I think leaders can and read it and start to do this work and you feel confident going forward. Uh, Devin, where can we find more about your work uh, online? Um, yeah, to well, the good thing about having a name like Devin Vodichka is there's not many of us, <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find on you know Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, you know, it's social media, but I also have a, a website called learnercenteredleadership.org. Uh, try to do pretty regular blog posts. Uh, and then the website for our organization is learnercenter.org. So learnercenteredleadership.org gets to my website. Learnercenter.org is our company's website. And uh, yeah, we look forward to staying connected and, and eager to learn from all the great things that others are also doing to better serve kids. Devin Vidichka, it was, it was great to talk to you today. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Mm -hmm.